so last week we looked at Reformation through change. Yeah. And we discussed how we, um, we used a systematic and a very simplistic version of trying to understand how the process of salvation works. Yeah. How justification, sanctification, and glorification um, are, are the things that we looked at. How our choices have three um, influences. Every choice we make has three influences, right? The first influence is us, what we want. The second influence is God, what God wants. And the third influence is Satan, what Satan wants. Every decision you make has three influences. Someone is either bearing a lot of pressure or a little bit of pressure on that choice. Amen? Amen. So as, you're, as you make decisions and choices, you can make decisions that with the, with the impression of the Father, great, and you, you lean towards that, and you take your will, and you kind of go in the same direction as God's will, and you, you accomplish a closest with the Father. And then that closest leads trending upward to another closeness, as we, as we diagrammed, right? And even higher closeness, yes? And then sometimes the influence of Satan, or maybe even something you desire with a very tiny bit of Satan, uh, plummets you down, right? But not too far because you've already had some great highs with the Lord, yes? And so you just turning your will back to the Father, even in the smallest sense, will take you right back up to where you were, where you first left off. Now, we also talked about there's got to be a line of demarcation, some point where the Lord just turns you over on to glory, to continue the process of upward mobility towards, towards being more like Christ, or he turns you over toward the process of downward mobility toward being, li being like Satan. That line of demarcation, we, know, we don't know where that is. Make sense? At what point he says, now your heart is really, really not going to turn. See, because when you're a believer or you understand the gospel, you always think that, you know, my heart's going to turn. And you keep thinking that. Some of us say, you know, well, you know, that's between you and the Lord and the Lord will deal with you. I've had people tell me to my face, I know that me sleeping with this man as married is not right. You know, I told my friend, and she said, friend, you know, you're too hard on yourself, you know. The Lord knows your heart, you know, and that's between you and him. And, and, and I said nothing. I said nothing because they didn't ask me what I thought. I mean, you know what I do for a living. <laughs> the only reason you're telling me this is because you want me to say something, but I'm going to need you to ask me to say something because I've been down that road before oh no she did she gonna say something mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. no 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 but even in that as we're, as people on the outside can visibly see you taking decision after decision after decision after decision downward and you feel that there is some resistance but each time less resistance less resistance and less resistance where now it takes just a little bit of Satan and you're already down to the bottom right he don't even have to influence you no more. You pretty much see what you want. And in yourself, you're thinking, you know, when the Lord finally touches my heart, you know what I'm saying? When I'm done, I'm done because that's when the Lord, you waiting on the Lord. He's waiting on you because he gave you free will for a reason. Remember, your will could flip up towards him or flip down towards Satan. You can go towards Christ or away from Christ. That's your choice. You can cuss somebody out or you can bless them in the name of the Lord. You can pay your bills or you could cheat. You could tell the truth or you could lie. You can apologize or you can get angry. These are all your choices. 
Now, when people see that other believers that are strong in the Lord make instantaneous decisions that are very difficult right in the flow of God, you think that we just woke up that way. We did not. We took advantage of very small choices until the big ones came, right? You guys just wait for the big ones and fail horribly when you had a ton of little choices. Maybe delete the number. Nah, I'm, I'm going to keep it because, you know, just in case, you know, I don't like to block people. Maybe block them. I don't really like to block people because I want to know what they're going to do, so I'm going to keep. Okay. And well, I'm not going to call, but, you know, I am going to go to their page. I'm going to their page. I'm just going to go to their page right quick, you know. And you can. <laughs> now, you're going to have 15 million decisions, very small, that led up to that one big decision that you completely failed. And you can't imagine how it was so easy for you. And when you come to me, I say, well, what was you thinking before you did it, huh? What was you thinking before you did it? I wasn't thinking you a lie. What was you thinking before you did it? Because I want you to trace the over 100 thoughts leading in destruction that you allowed yourself to participate in. Before you think you were just so overwhelmed with, I was so overwhelmed with passion. No, you was not. No, you was not. No, you were not. Because y'all be overwhelmed with the spirit of the Lord and you still be acting real regular. I just, me and the Lord is quiet. Uh-uh. No. No. See, hello, something, hello. Y'all be trying to convince me that you and the Lord is quiet when I know your intimacy patterns. Because people that are bad at physical intimacy don't really do it very often. People that are good, so they think, at at physical intimacy, do it often. Hello, somebody. So when you come here like, hallelujah, and I know your physical intimacy patterns, I'm like, you a lie. You'll go out your mind for him. You'll let your body do whatever it wants to do, and you love it and enjoy it for her. Come on, somebody. But when the Lord wants to impress you to act a fool for a second, when he want to get you to yell out his name, y'all don't want him, when he wants you to say, hallelujah. Now you all quiet. You weren't quiet the other night. Time somebody had to, you had to try to hold your mouth closed. Ooh. Now I'm begging you to say something. Can you say you love him? Can you say that you love him? Can you say that you adore him? Can you act like you love him? Can you get into it for a second? Can you just let yourself get into it? Can you just worship him for real, for real? Don't nobody want that old timid, scary love. But nobody want that. Nobody want to feel like they always got to pursue you. Don't nobody want that. Hello? Some of y'all got double standards. <laughs> You'll give it up freely over here. Hello, somebody. But ain't got to be pressed and pressured into doing, doing anything remotely out of your body for the Lord. You'll get on your knees. But if I say, get on your knees and worship you, I got bad knees. I got bad knees. Same, same. 
Same, same. Same, same. Same, same. Same, same. Same, same. Same, same. You a hypocrite. Same, same. Same, same. You a hypocrite. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Same, same. Same, same. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He could call you at 2 o'clock in the morning. She could say, baby, come over at 2.45 in the morning. You will drop whatever you are doing. You will try to splash some water on your face, put a little deodorant on, spritz some stuff on yourself, hop in that car, crank it up, and go. Or maybe unlock the door, straighten up your bed, light a candle. Either way, somebody got you out of your bed in your rest, but when it comes to the Lord, balance. It has to be balanced in my life because the way my schedule is set up, you know, I have to get enough sleep to. Like if I don't get enough sleep for the day, then really, you ain't got no sleep the other day. You ain't have a problem with a woke up bright eyed and bushy tail. Good morning, employees. Oh, Okay. But I'd be like, come on, let's wake up and do church in the morning. Got Saturday, we got to meet. I don't want to go. You know, my schedule is so tight. But I was like, you've got some free. You scheduled? Oh, you're open? Is your schedule open now? Oh, oh. Oh, all of a sudden, let me just call them and tell them I can't come in today. All right. That is not what we're talking about today. What we are going to talk about today is something that churches even more seldomly talk about. We're looking at Reformation today, how the Lord changes us back to what he originally had in mind. Our focus all this year. Um, and it's Reformation through awe. A-W-E, awe. Reformation through awe. Most churches don't talk about this topic. Um, and, but the awe that we are capable of experiencing is so important to a human's life. And most of us deal with huge bouts of depression because we have not learned to look for and enjoy points of awe. Awe is not regular. Awe is like, wow, that's amazing. That's so beautiful. Do you understand? At any given day, I could be in my car and I will stare at anything gorgeous for more seconds than I should. Because then I'm like, oh, ooh. <clears throat> sorry, oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, baby. She might be like, every time you look away, then, then you mess up. I know. <laughs> but did you see that tree? It was so pretty. I'm on the golf course. Oh, my God, look at that purple. Oh, and I'm just amazed, awestruck, right? And I love doing this every single day. I look for something over and over and over again that just says beauty, right? Every day. I just know one day I'm not searching for it. An angle, a color, a structure, a building, an animal, a flower, doesn't matter what it is, I am going to find it. One of the reasons why I enjoy taking our, our church on trips, the vacations, not the mission trips. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy doing those too. But when we went to Italy last year, and Seychelles the year before that, and South Africa, the year before that, 
we like to vacay together, and the only joy I get at this point, because I've, uh, I've traveled. As a matter of fact, I think my first international trip, I was in middle school, and I went to Lillehammer, Norway, as an ambassador for the Winter Olympics. This trip, I was probably, what, 14, 15 years old or so, 14, 13, 14. This is my first trip that far away from family, you know, Jersey family, home family. This is, I don't even know these people. The plane ride was long, the hotel rooms were quiet by yourself. The first night we stayed in the hotel with the king and queen of Switzerland. And for a little girl that age, it is dark, it's like a dark castle. It was like, ooh, scary. <laughs> it was an essay and an artwork contest. So um, I wrote an essay about the Olympics for the city of Atlanta. It was an exchange program because we were gonna host the Summer Olympics the, the next uh, two years after that. So I wrote an essay and then we did an artwork. Me and my mom stayed up during this artwork for months. It was like a tapestry with divers diving off the fjords of Norway and Olympic women doing twists and turns off of, we incorporated everything we could think of. It was multimedia, it was gorgeous. When I say we did it, I really need to say my mom <laughs> did that. <laughs> And we won. Mommy could draw. She, she good. She, she could really could draw. And we won that thing. And now my only job was to give the speech, to read the, the oration in front of a camera for the competition. It was that particular oration, especially when my dad had to take me to um, the Rotary Club to, speak, to do the same speech. They wanted to hear it at the Rotary Club, and I think we, the car broke down or something. We were running late, Daddy just picked me up. I don't know how we got there, but he was like, I'm gonna get you there. I was like, oh, I'm gonna miss it, I'm gonna miss it. He was like, I got you, I was like, okay. But it was that particular or time at the Rotary Club because it was a very small crowd, and I had already said this speech over a thousand times in many different countries. So I was used to it at this point, right? So I didn't even need my paper no more. I just left it like, bam. And I walked out of front, I got this. And I gave my speech, don't ask me any of these lines, I don't know them. <laughs> and I remember doing like this, and everybody said, ah. Oh. Then I said, Why? and they said, ah, oh. I was like, Whoa. <laughs> Look at this, look at this, you can get people to do stuff when you talk, and look at they is all listening. That's when I realized I enjoyed public speaking. But it took months of tears and crying, right? My middle school teacher, Miss Page, she had to give me speech lessons to make sure I enunciated and pronounced correctly. Bearing in mind, I'm from the North and she's from the South. My mom popped my lips for Southern jargon. Hello, somebody. But she had to make sure every word was properly enunciated. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Now put a pencil in your mouth and say the same thing. So there was no idea or concept of a lazy tongue, which some of you guys have. Because you say stuff like, you know what I'm saying? What saying? <laughs> you know, for real, like, for real, you know what I'm saying? What? No, I don't know what you are saying. <laughs> you're not saying anything, you're just mumbling. <laughs> oh, come on, Pastor, don't be like that, you know what I'm saying? What? <clears throat> but when I got touched down in Norway, I was, I mean, just flooded by cultural differences, right? I mean, 
Fjords are mountains, huge mountains, in rows that have water running in between them. So you would see uh, like sheets of mountains, and then the ocean would kind of come right in between them. And you just look at it and go, where am I? Is this, what's that movie where they had a little tail and they thing? Is this Avatar? Before, before the movie came out. I mean, lush greenness, right? We went up to the top of a mountain to go skiing. Horrible experience for me, but nevertheless, <laughs> realized that at the top of a mountain, it is hot. And you can take off your parker on the top of a mountain. And you can get sunburn on the top of a mountain. Did not know that. Realized that kids in, Nor in Norway are daredevils, okay? The parents care nothing about their safety <laughs> at all. They put me on a sleigh at the top of a mountain, and the trail ran down the mountain. And they dropped us off and said, we think you down, I don't even know what they said. We see mountain. And I was like, what? And the kids that was with us from Norway said, they're going to see us down the mountain, they're gonna leave us. Leave us? Where are we? No, no, we got our sleigh, we're gonna go down and meet them. They're gonna meet us at the bottom. Where are the adults? No adults. It's for kids. This is for kids? The sleigh. This is, see the edge of this stage? This is the edge of the mountain. The trail is right here. There is no guardrail, no wires, no strings, no pillars, just if you Move over to the right. You are going to fall down the mountain and you are at the tops of trees. Do you understand? You could see the tops of trees like. And just a smooth ice trail all the way around for about, I'd say about six miles. I mean, it took forever to get up and I was so ready for it to be done. I'm at a mountain. It's not a hill. It's a mountain. I was so exhausted from fear. I got in the van, I just went to bed. They said, here's lunch. I said, what is this? They said, it's a sandwich. Why is my sandwich open? And what is this raw fish on top? It's a lox sandwich, open face with cloudberries. Cloud. She's gonna go to sleep. <laughs> Every night I will go to my room and cry because I miss my mom and daddy. They didn't have no cell phones. You couldn't call somebody up. You had to go to a landline. Call, collect. International. Hello? And if they're not there, then you missed it. I got sick, missed a day, which, to be honest with you, I was quite happy. All right? My stomach got upset. <laughs> And I had to stay in. I couldn't go nowhere. And I stayed with this Norwegian family. And they fed me tea and shrimp with the heads on it and porridge. I had porridge for the first time. Porridge is not like cream and wheat. Porridge is not like oatmeal. Porridge is not like grits. Porridge is porridge. And once you have porridge, you know that it is porridge and it is nothing else. It's porridge. What is it like? I cannot tell you. It is. It was a cultural shock. I love taking my church members and all of my family on trips that are all inspiring. The first time I went to South Africa, it was just a couple people that went with me. And I remember looking out at the ocean and the flat top mountain in South Africa, and I just said, 
because we got to the house right at sunset. And our house, the patio, faced the ocean at sunset. And everything was gold and yellow, like sparkly everywhere. And we were just like, oh my God. Oh, oh, oh my God. We're in the motherland. <laughs> These are my people. I remember taking Mother Bell and the awe-inspiring. She always said, I don't really want to go on a trip. It's not that important to me. You know, I've seen it on TV. That's enough. And most people say that until they go. And then they're like, I have been an idiot my entire life. I don't want anything but trips. You want a purse? No, I want trips. <laughs> Do you want some new shoes? No, I want trips. <laughs> I will starve myself for trips. You enjoy seeing so much of what you've never seen before and you look at God and other people and go, wow. On our trips, we try to go to someone's home and to teach us how to cook a meal and we'll sit and we'll eat. We go off the tourist attractions and learn how to dance in South Africa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we was getting it. <laughs> we go to some of the poorest slums in Kalicha. We travel down to places like Pandy Town with extreme poverty and prostitution. We engage in the people when we come back home having almost died at least twice, feeling the richer for it. Seychelles, we had a hills and a stick. That was our lived-eye experience. I had to drive a stick. Um, again, no guardrails in this rainy, tropical, hilly country. And just straight up, hadn't drove a a stick in about three years. And there's on the left side. Also means that the stick is on the left. You're driving on the left, the stick is on the left. I'm the only person that knows how to drive on the left. I've been driving on the left for years, okay? So everybody, you wanna drive? No, no, no. We almost died on that trip. We did, we did. Got so bad, my dad left me. He said, girl, I am not gonna die in this car with you. I am getting in the van. And he left me. He left me. He said, you about to work my nerves. I cannot die in this car with you. I am getting in the safety of the van. I think it was like two vans. We had two vans. Two vans drove by real drivers. Okay, and I'm in this little ee, 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 ee. I couldn't find that, re <laughs> I couldn't find that first gear for nothing in the world. We said, Grrr. I was like, oh, it's Before I knew it, we was in a ditch. All the townspeople was like, there go another tourist. Let's push her out. <laughs> And push us out and then get us up this hill, because I don't know. I was so nervous. I mean, my nerves was like this. Just played it cool, figured it out. All inspiring things are a necessity for human life. We were built for it. It's not the rigmarole that Satan tries to put you in. It's the things that excite you, that give you an, a, an awesome amazement of God's creativity, uh, the diversity of his people, the food, the colors, the smells, the food, the colors, and the smells, all diverse. In some ways, everybody's the same, and in other ways, everybody is completely different, and you need that. So now when I take our church members on vacations, 
I've seen everything just about, in my opinion, you know. I've seen it. Only thing I like to see now are their faces. I love to watch their faces. When I take them to the house, and they be like, oh, this is us? This us right here? This is us? Because we go for like 11 days, not three days, okay? This is, this is, <laughs> this is all us right here? Oh, oh. And we go on um, paragliding. Oh. Going to catamaran. Oh. You know, and their faces just light up, and they're so excited, and everybody's got their camera, and I'm just looking at them going, you like this. <laughs> and I love to hear the excitement in their voice and how my dad is so happy and at peace at the ocean, and I and people like, I can finally get a break and finally get a rest, and I see Stefan out there worshiping and praying, you know, I'm like, look, look at this. Look at my babies. Oh. As your pastor, I take it as an honor to not only teach you the gospel, to disciple you, but also to present you with the awe-inspiring things of Christ, the things that God does for us, what he's made for us to enjoy. Amen. Amen. Heaven is a topic that seldom churches really talk about. I wonder if you heard a, heard a sermon on heaven. Heaven is most often an afterthought. It's like, yes, and you do well, you go to heaven. You do bad, you go to hell, right? Yeah. Maybe some conversations about hell, you know, a little bit of, it's fiery and hot. You know, some conversations about heaven, it's beautiful, and the streets are paved with gold, and, you know, pearl gates, and people that you love ones, and, and then it's just, it's just not a conversation had. Yeah. But we're going to have it today. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Reformation through awe has to include heaven. Now, most of us struggle with the concept of heaven, and our only motivation for heaven is to get to people that we miss. Yeah. Can't wait to get to heaven to see my mom. Can't wait to get to heaven, you know, for some of you to see your dads, your grandmoms, your uncles, your cousins, anybody, right? I just can't wait, right? And somebody said, no, I could wait. I just look forward to it. <laughs> but it's always people at some point that are drawing us closer to want to be there with them. And sometimes, hopefully, it's even Christ himself. I want to be closer to him, be with him. But for the most part, the idea of heaven for children and adults, I believe, sounds really boring. Because most of us have the idea of maybe floating on a cloud, playing the harp, maybe sitting and worshiping holy, holy, holy all the time. And that version of you, with the version that you are now, doesn't seem like the same version of you. Yeah. Like, no, when you get to heaven, you're gonna worship the Lord 24-7, you're gonna like it, am I? Well, technically, there's no night, so you just, just all day, just, just all day, and you worship all day, and you're going to love it, am I? Who, me? I'm going to love doing that one thing the whole time? <laughs> just that one thing? Because there's no connection of who you are with this proposed idea of what you're going to become, that seems... Not very fun, right? 
more like a, if I had to take a punishment of death, that's the best one. Like I'm gonna go, at least I ain't in hell. <laughs> so now heaven is just a matter of, at least it's not hell. You know, and I don't think that that's what he meant for it to be, right? We don't die, we, we don't have any pain, we, don't, we just float around and worship and wait for Armageddon, I guess, and I don't know what happens next. It gets all confusing after that point. But no one really talks about heaven. Yeah. You don't know how much you want to know about heaven until somebody you love has gone there. And for me, the more I studied heaven and extra dimensions, and we're going to talk about that, the more I got a chance to have something I've missed since mommy passed, and that was knowing what her day was like. I would always know what my mom's day was like from the time she woke up to the time she went to bed. And I would talk to her, see her on FaceTime all day, all day, all day. I would know if she had a good day, a bad day, where she's going, where she's been, what she's got to do, what she eats, you know, what she watched, what she's not watching, what she's working on, what she's not working on. And I, I love knowing that. And when she left to go to glory, I had no understanding of what her day was like, and it bothered me. That she is doing something, being something, living somewhere, and I'm like, what is that like? No concept other than holy, 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 holy. Yeah. And a grand reunion, right? But it is the allness and the awesomeness of heaven that is very much so a part of why God made us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is as real to us and as for us as earth. And the whole idea of earth, we'll find, is to prepare us for there. A place that now, in this dimension, we cannot really uh, encounter with our full selves. Yes? Okay. Let's talk about the extra dimensionality of the new creation. The extra dimensionality of the new creation how we are safe from harm and relational wonders. Extra dimensionality of the new creation. Extra dimensionality. Extra dimensionality of the new creation. We're safe from harm and relational wonders. I think the reason why we don't have many uh, sermons on heaven is because we are so inundated with the here and now that nobody wants to talk about heaven because they've got some right now problems. I can feel that in my spirit because those of you with right now problems keep falling asleep. It's because you got right now problems and I wish that I could do something about that but all I know is that the Holy Spirit should have done something in the beginning which is what I was hoping for so that you might be able to lay that down and really chime in onto what we've got going on today because there's always going to be a point between what you need and when God gives it to you that a sense of allness is the only thing that's going to keep you. There's always a point of suffering. Of time between what you need and what God wants to do and having a sense of awesomeness about what is coming is what's keeping you. Every disciple and even Christ himself had their mind on what was coming and that propelled them through some of the hardest times of suffering and persecution because you don't have an understanding of what is coming that all you see is more pain, more pain, more pain, more problems, more problems, more problems, and more cycles of problems. 
So your life is miserable. You go from one stressor to another stressor, one, one problem to another problem with little spurts of something in between. All right? Always looking for a place of escape from the mundane part of your life, how things are not working. You need a sense of awe. You were built for earth, and you're being built for heaven. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 2. Give us a reference. We're going to look at 1 through 5, skipping around. Give us a reference of the extra dimensionality of the new creation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard, verse 3, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So, let's give a, a recap a little bit of some basic, some basic concepts of heaven. Uh, let's back up. In the Old Testament, uh, heaven or paradise was called Abraham's bosom, and then there was a great uh, 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 gap uh, th a chasm that no one could cross, and you could see on the other side were some of the saints of the Old Testament resting on Abraham's bosom, and the people on the other side uh, of, of this Hades were just being hot and tormented, okay? Um, uh, and this was a real account that was given, all right, um, uh, from Jesus himself, right? And he talks about how the tormented wanted to say, well, go warn my friends and families. And they were like, if the prophets ain't getting them, ain't nobody going to be able to tell them, right? Um, but it was a real place. So in the Old Testament, the dominating belief is that uh, everyone was pretty much in Hades, but there were some that were tormented and then some that were in Abraham's bosom. Yes? Right. All right. Separate from the torment and very comfortable. Like they could drink water and everything, and they were comfortable, okay, while everybody else was not so. When Christ died on the cross, resurrected from the grave, and ascended to heaven, it is said that he preached the gospel to those in the Abraham's bosom. I am the Messiah. I have done this thing. This is what I've done. Let's get out of here. Let's go. And now through the blood of the lamb, they're able to go to heaven, all right? And all of that is pretty much new territory for, for demons to take over, all right? So now... Now that Christ is raised from the dead, and we are now sitting on the part where Christ is raised from the dead, right, and sitting to heaven, when we die, we go to heaven, all right, a place of paradise. Our bodies stay here, but our spirit and our soul goes to heaven, right? And it is this beautiful place of paradise because Jesus told the, the thief, uh, this day you will be with me in paradise. There is no purgatory. The decision is made. Once you close your eyes and take your last breath, you are either in heaven 
or hell. Either you will open your eyes in paradise, right, or open your eyes in hell. That's the way it goes. And it's instant. Yes? This heaven currently is spiritual. What we mean by that is that it has, it is beyond this dimension. And there's no way we can talk about heaven without talking about dimensions, which is also leading me to next year's study. Okay, so let's do dimensions again, shall we? Okay, one dimension. Handy dandy pencil, you already know. A dot, one dimension is a dot. One, one point of space in time, or not in time, doesn't really matter, it's just here. That's it, that's one dimension, one spot, right? If this spot was to be able to move, let's say left and right, then it's a line. Two dimensions. If it was able to go up and down, there's still two dimensions, yes? Up, down, left, right, right? Two dimensions, one dimension, two dimensions, yes? Okay, so if you lived on two dimensions, like you were two-dimensional people, you'd be like a stick figure, very, 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 very flat, because you would have no depth, because depth requires how many dimensions? Three like 3D when it pops out at you, okay? So three dimensions, which is what 3D means, requires when you get depth. Without three, you are flat, and your world is flat, and there's no depth to it. So you just kind of walk <laughs> like that. that. That's all you can do. Two dimensions, yes? Now, let's say you made two-dimensional people on a two-dimensional world, like a television screen and your two-dimensional people are on that screen, right? Similar to this, yes? It is flat, right? You made these people. You took stuff that they can't even imagine and you ordered it in such a way where you made them, then you made lands, infinite lands they could travel to. And you just keep keying it in and typing it in and these people just moving around on this flat world you made and you just keying in stuff in the background, just making new stuff, rivers, ocean, snow, ah, you just storylines and the galore, you just, Two dimensions, yes? Yeah. You are a three-dimensional being, right? Yeah. You can't live here. No. Can you live in your TV? No, you cannot, right? But you made your 2D people, right? And you want them to know, hey, I made you, jokers. What's up? I'm the one giving you all that stuff down there. And then you try to take your big old three-dimensional hand and say hello to them, and you poke it in their two-dimensional world, all they gonna see is a circle. Just a flat circle. Okay? This is the two-dimensional world. All they're gonna see is a circle. Not a sphere, like a ball, because it's two dimensions. A ball is three dimensions. Okay, a ball in two dimensions is a Circle. I'm just making sure we're all on the same page because some of y'all getting lost already and we just talking about balls and circles. Okay. So if you put your finger to try to talk to your two-dimensional people 
All they're going to see with no depth is a circle, right? And if your finger gets bigger, they'll see a bigger circle. They'll be like, oh, look at that circle. Oh, and then it went away. And now it's back again. And now the circle went away. It just appeared and disappeared. The circle is not lifting. It just appears and disappears because there's no depth. Right. Oh, circle, it's there. It's gone. It's there. It's gone. Where's the circle? Right there. Right? If you put your whole hand in the two-dimensional I'm just giving you some practice with this. If you put your whole hand in the circle, boom, what are you going to see? Five circles or dots, whatever you want to call it, all right? Five. They're not going to know that those five dots are connected to one hand. Let me do it another number. Let's say you put three fingers. One for the father. Uh-huh. Ah, uh-huh. If you put three fingers, uh, three dots in here, will they know that they are connected to the same hand? They would have no idea that these three dots, as they appear and disappear, are connected to the same hand. Even if the whole hand goes in, they will see a bigger circle, but have no idea that it was still related to the three circles that they saw. It's just, it's just next year, okay? You don't have to get that. I'm just helping. For those of you that got it, okay? We're going we're gonna to unpack that later next year, but this is just a good mental exercise, okay? All right. Now, you made your two-dimensional people, and you are a three-dimensional being, right? You try to tell them that, hey, I am here. Ding, 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 ding. All right, maybe you send them signals. Maybe you send them words. Maybe you do stuff and be like, ooh, somebody else must have did this. Where did this come from? I don't know. You're trying to let them know that you are there, and you want to have communication with them. Yes? And that you made them. And you cannot fully be in their world unless you become. Because every time you try to engage with your two-dimensional people, they were struck with fear. They were struck with awe. They had so many questions. They couldn't understand it. But if you take yourself and put yourself in digital form and then embed yourself into their storyline. Pointing to the idea that God exists outside of this dimension. And when you see me, you see him. I am him. Okay. Yeah. Hmm? Okay. This is the concept of extra dimensionality. Okay, now we are three-dimensional beings because we have height, width, and depth. We're not flat, yep. And we are three-dimensional beings, but we live in a four-dimensional reality. What is the fourth dimension? Excellent. For those of you that did not know, do not feel bad. They've heard this 15 million times, okay? The fourth dimension is the mention of time. Scientists and mathematicians use time like we would use a ruler because time is just a sequence of passing events. You measure time like you would measure on a ruler. So if you have a ruler stick, you can measure height, depth, and width. And if you have a clock, you can measure time. So time is our fourth dimension. So we are three-dimensional beings and we live in a fourth dimensional reality yes everything 
about our reality is fourth dimension. The entire universe, all the galaxies, all the atoms, all the gluons, the quarks, all of them, three-dimensional. Yes? God, now scientists have already proven that mathematically and through experimentation, that there are at least 10, if not 11 extra dimensions. Okay, this is not theory. They use mathematical equations because math is always universal. If this equation is true, then there should be other, uh, there should be other dimensions according to this equation, right? One plus one is two. All right, so let's say one plus one equals extra dimensions. When I do the math, because math is always universal, there should be an extra dimension. Then scientists take the equations of mathematicians and try to formulate experiments to either prove or disprove that mathematical equation. This is how those two things work together. Are you, are you understanding this? All right, let me do it again. Okay. Since math is universal, you got one apple plus another apple. How many apples you got? Two. You, will you have four? No. Will you have eight? No. You have one and one is two. That's always the same. All right? So because math is always the same, if this one plus one is two, then two plus two is four. With that being said, there must be 11 dimensions. That's a very simplified version. Okay? If we are a four three dimensions living in a fourth dimension, and we write up the equations that show that we are three dimensions living in fourth dimensions, that's one plus one is two, right? Then they're also going to say that that means two plus two is four. That means there are probably other dimensions, like ten. Or do you understand? Yeah. They use math. If this is true, then this is true. Yes? Okay. Yeah, you got it? Okay. All right. If I take one and divide it in half, what do I have? Huh? Half. Half. Take one and divide it in half. Oh, my God. You got half. You take one, you divide it in half. You got half. Somebody said 25. What? I don't know what everybody said. New math. So if I take one and divide it in half, I have half. If I take two halves and I multiply it by two, what do I have? Two halves. Two halves. If I take two halves, multiply it by two. I got two. If I take one half and multiply it by two, what do I have? One. Okay. I'm just making sure. Okay. Let's do it again. If I take one and divide it by two, how many do I have? If I take a half and multiply it by two, what do I have? Okay, so half plus a half is one, right? Yes? And a half divided by, I mean, a one divided by a half is one. That makes, I mean, yeah, there's a half. One divided by a half is a half. Y'all get it. You don't get it? Did I confuse you anymore? Two apples is one. You got two apples. Johnny, how many apples? How many apples? Ice cream. No, Johnny. How many apples? No. That's how my mom taught me. No. No. Just two evil. If five apples. Seven. You better get this right. I'm going to beat your tail. Twenty-two. I don't know. 
All right. <laughs> All right. Okay, so if a half plus a half is one, then we could we automatically know that one cut in half is a half. All right, so that's the kind of equations that they're doing. If we are three dimensions living in fourth dimensions, then we automatically know mathematically that there must be 10 other dimensions. That's the kind of math that scientists are doing, okay? So the mathematicians come up with the proofs that say, this, we should have other dimensions according to the math. Scientists are like, what? And they have huge years and years and years of mathematical research, years. And everybody keeps testing it. And they're like, yep, hands down. If this is true, then this is true mathematically. And scientists say, for real? They say, for real. They're like, say less. And then they come up with these massive experiments that cost billions of dollars to prove one aspect of that mathematical equation. Yes, just one aspect. OK? So this is, this is how you know what they're doing, all right? Because I don't believe in that science. It's about God. Shut up. Shut, shut your mouth. Okay, because God is awesome. Okay, awesome. All right. Okay, so the experiments that they've done have proven both mathematically and through multiple about about I don't know. I said well over twenty six experiments that prove the concept scientifically, tangibly that there are other dimensions. Okay, namely ten, and some people say eleven. The eleventh one, they're a little unsure on. Everybody agrees. Everybody agrees on 10. Okay, now, <laughs> 10 dimensions, okay? We only know four. Try to think of another dimension. Can't. Can't. We are not capable, go ahead, try, of thinking of another dimension. We can't. We can't think of anything besides what we have. Like another variation, what if we, what if we could smell colors? That's, 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 that's two, it's the same dimension? It's the same dimension? <laughs> what if we could walk on water? Same dimension? Same dimension. A dimension would, like, would be like this. Can you, can you add something that was never existed that now exists to a being that has that ability? Okay, no. No matter what we do, as humans, we could never imagine another dimension because we can only deal with what we have at hand. That's it, that's all we got. So since we know this, when scientists try to look at other dimensions, they go back to mathematicians, okay? Because simple math says if we are four-dimensional, three-dimensional beings living in a four-dimensional world, but we wanna imagine a fifth dimension, then we have to be uh, six-dimensional beings living in a five-dimensional world. Yeah. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah. Since we can't imagine the dimension, what it's like, we can look at the numbers and just double it, right? Four, eight, right? And then six. That's all I got for you, okay? We have to do the rest, we have to do the rest next year. I don't have time. I don't have time for that, okay? We'll do more of it next year. But in essence, the only way to really kind of grasp the concept of extra dimensions for us, considering we can never imagine such a thing, is to look at it mathematically, all right? And then draw conjectures from that mathematically. Okay, so when you get to the fifth dimension, um, given that our time dimension is still present, then you could see inside of a box without ever having to open the box. 
because that fifth dimension mathematically will let you do that. And that's when you get to the tetriarchs, the, is that box that folds in and out of itself. That's how you could look inside without ever actually opening it, because that's a fifth dimension, okay? <laughs> Revelations 21 is describing something that is above and beyond what we could actually think, all right? And there are parts in Revelations that are truly metaphors. But every time it's a metaphor, it is explained either within that text or it is a reference from prophecy out of another text, okay? So if that's not given, then you can take it as literal. Yes? Okay, so you see a new heaven and new earth coming in, right? Somebody sitting on the throne. Old heaven and old earth passed away. We are in the old earth, right? By the end of the story, Armageddon, everything else, however you want to look at it, it's over, it's old, he's going to do something different. This different is going to have to, we need to know what that difference is like. Yes? Because heaven does not use our bodies. But when we are raised from the dead, we will have bodies like Christ, which is capable of moving in this dimension and the dimension wherein heaven exists. Does that make sense? And technically, heaven is only considered up because it is an additional dimension, not because it is above us. Okay? Okay. Most of what I'm giving is coming from several books by um, Ross, Hugh Ross. So if you want to write him down, he's good. All right? It's a lot of science, 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 science. All right, we see a dwelling place where God is with man and he's with us and we're with them. There's no more mourning. There's no more crying. There's no more pain for the former things have passed away. This new city of peace rests on a new earth and is depicted as some kind of cube or pyramid. 12,000 stadia uh, long, 12,000 stadia wide, 12,000 stadia high. Um, Now, this is interesting because 12,000 stadia is 1,379 mountains high, miles high, and and 1,379 miles wide 1000 all right if the familiar force of gravity was in operation this cube or pyramid we can't really tell would collapse into a ball for in our universe any material object with dimensions exceeding about 300 miles across will be pulled by gravity into a more uh, spherical shape Okay, so this is a a thousand plus miles high is way bigger than 300. Okay, in essence, we have a capacity of building anything at about 300 miles high and 300 miles wide. If not, it's going to collapse into something like a ball because of our gravity. It's just not going to hold. Do you understand? So the place that he's describing, this heaven that is coming down to sit on this new earth, either has to have some changes in its gravitational force or has to be very, 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 very large with the same gravitational force in order to hold a heaven that comes down and rests. Yes? Cool. All these descriptions suggest the enormity of our habitation. If its population exceeds 10 billion, okay, this is the new heaven. When we are resurrected, we have bodies like Jesus. We're going to look at that a little bit, all right? And these bodies will be able to be in heaven and on earth. Whatever dimensionality properties that Christ has, we have those. 
within with, with some some borders. Okay, we're not Jesus. We're not many gods. All right, but we would have access to His dimensionalities and Earth. Whoever's still being born on Earth, they can't go where we go, but we can come where they are. And we can go back to God's city, back on Earth, back on the Holy City. This is the uniqueness of the saints. This is the uniqueness of the church age. This is the only age where you can be called one of those priests that go to the holy city in that dimension and also walk on the new earth in their dimension. There's the only one. You is it. You are the saints. This is your gift. This is your promise. Amen. All right. Um, if the population exceeds, the new heavens population exceeds 10 billion, the new Jerusalem alone would give, okay, 10 billion, let's say, all 10 billion saints. If it exceeds even more than that, the new Jerusalem alone would give each person the equivalent of about 40 billion cubic feet of living space. 40 billion cubic feet of living space. That is equivalent to a 14 square mile home with a 100 foot high ceiling. There is your mansion. She said, in my father's house, there are, if it were not so, I would. Uh, that Jerusalem could hold over a billion saints and a billion saints in God's Jerusalem has, a, I mean, a huge mansion. Take this in. That is awe-inspiring. Huge. And bearing in mind that this is additional dimensions, okay? All right. Imagine what our lives would be like if the time and energy we are now ex uh, expending on maintenance and upkeep could be devoted wholly to creative pursuits. What if you didn't have to clean a floor, fix a roof, <laughs> what if you had to spend no time making it, fixing anything, repairing anything, and you could just spend your time with creative pursuits? Minister Hussey could make as much meal cuisines from all types of nations and languages and food, and he doesn't have to worry about this oven going off, this is breaking, the knife's getting dull. There's no decay, there's no degradation in these dimensions. Right? And you and I get to be more of what God called us to be. Not that we create, but we make. We make, we take what God has created, something out of nothing that we cannot do, and we use that to make something. Yes? And we make all kinds of things because we are still a people that love to watch things grow, to multiply. To see a small business go to a big business, a small church go into a very effective church. You understand. We love watching this thing. Babies growing up. Oh, my God, you graduated. We love it. Yes. And this is persistent. Is in as infinite as hell is tormenting is as infinite as you and I are able to create, to expand, to produce. Other. Uh, your knees ain't going to hurt. Your back ain't going to get tired. Come on now. If you decide you want to dance, you can dance as long as you want until you decide to stop. 
We ain't going to need no preachers, so I'm going to be a baker. I've already talked to the Lord about that. I think he's going to approve it. I know the Holy Spirit. He's putting in a good word for me. Um, I want to be a baker. I want to be a baker, and I, I want the Lord to visit my shop. All right. Not that people have to buy anything. You just get to make it, and people just get to enjoy it. That's so nice. And they're not enjoying it because they're starving. They're enjoying it because it tastes good. And they can eat as much as they want because they're not going to get fat. No pure bar unless you just want to just increase muscle for the heck of it. Look at it. There are still processes, all right? There are still processes, but there are no processes of decay and degradation. Yeah. Do you understand? That's huge. You like building muscle? Build muscle. Processes, yes? But no, like, oh, my God. See, now, don't this fit more like you? Doesn't it seem like you are built for this place? How long rather than holy, holy, holy? Uh, right? Okay, um, go to Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 17. There are a ton more scriptures, but I'm only going to give you the highlights, and we have to hurry today. Not only is this new creation free from deterioration, but it is also free of natural and man-made disasters and crime, all things that so seriously drain our joy and our wealth in this world. In our world, material or relational wealth must be protected, and the cost of such protection increases with the value of what needs protecting. In the new creation, our wealth will not be burdened to us. God can and will bless each of us with an inheritance beyond what we could possibly dream. The Bible says that in the new creation, we will inherit everything that Christ inherits. Now, anything good, you have to protect it. And depending on how valuable it is, how much effort you got to put into protecting it. Yeah. That's not the case. You can have things of great value and you don't have to protect it. You can just enjoy it. Yeah? Amen. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's a promise, right? You're heirs. You will inherit this place that we're studying, this heaven, this new earth is yours, provided that you join him now in the fellowship of his suffering. The Esau spirit is that person that cannot sustain or withhold themselves because of temporary uh, joys and gratification. The, the ability for you to, to discipline yourself, to abstain from temporary joys and gratification for a long-term goal is godly. Yes? Some people have a lot of self-discipline and some people do not. 
but all believers should have an enormous perception of heaven and an enormous perception of Christ that will propel even the smallest bit of self-discipline to maintain and hold ground. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the level of your discipline. It's the passion of what you know is yours. You don't love God enough. You don't want to be with him enough. Yes? And you like here far too much. If I say, uh-oh, Lord's coming back tomorrow, a few of us would go, yes. And some of you go, oh, man, I didn't even get a chance to. And I'd be thinking, you have no concept of what you are inheriting. Either one, you don't have a concept of what you are inheriting, or two, you are extremely self-righteous. That means you prefer to earn everything. And you earning everything validates your identity. That's self-righteousness. We are not saved by our own righteousness, but by faith through Christ Jesus. There's not any more good you can do to earn it. If he loves you, you get his inheritance, period. What did you do for it? Nothing. Well, I think I should do something. That's why you're going to stay here. Because pride and insecurity are the same coin, different faces. It's your insecurity that is now turned into pride as to why you feel you need to earn it. I do not. I'd be like, ooh, have mercy on me. Take me. <laughs> she ain't do nothing. Shut up. <laughs> he said he don't care. Let's go. <laughs> right? He said it's all right with him. Shut up. I'm going to. See, I was that person that got in, in the line at the clubs. You understand? And I ain't waiting in the line, you know? And everybody else had to wait in the line. Hello, you. No, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, you be in the back of the line, you know, <laughs> and be like, ma'am, ma'am, me? My skirt was real tight. I ain't feel no shame about them people in the line. Cold, because you don't want to put your coat in the club, you know, so you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, I'll wait back here with the rest of the people. Uh-uh. Hope y'all get in. Deuces. <laughs> And he'd be like, they with me, they with me, they with me. They with me, they with me. And people in the line be like, I, will, I don't know you. Mm, I get to fight. Uh-uh, uh-uh, no. See, you ain't had no problem with that, did you? Nope. It's because you don't want heaven bad enough. You don't want the Lord bad enough. You want yourself and what you can do for yourself. So much more. It's a shame. Because if you get me a cut pass, I'm taking it. Hello. The new Jerusalem represents just one portion of our new domain. And since the new Jerusalem size exceeds the Earth's largest structures by more than 10 trillion times, then Earth's, the new Earth's proportions probably supersede the present Earth's by a similar factor of 10 trillion. <sighs> While the New Jerusalem may be roomy enough to serve as home for every believer, 
we will also have full access to the new earth. Ooh, ooh. The saints of God get to have access to, people are going to be looking at that like, oh, my God. You know, the ones that didn't get caught up in the rapture. They're going to be like, oh, look at her. We're going to be coming to visit them. Hey, what's going on, you guys? Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you come from Jerusalem? Yeah, yeah, I'm from Jerusalem. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was wondering, what's it like? Oh, it's amazing. It really is. It's kind of like this, but better. (laughs) Much better. Are you jealous you shouldn't be? That's a ticket to hell. I'm just kidding. No, 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 I'm not going to take you there. Or am I? (laughs) I don't know how this judging thing works. I get to judge people. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mm -hmm. right? (sighs) So we'll have access as saints to both. We can go right into Jerusalem with God the Father, okay? The throne. No shadow there. There is no shadow in heaven. Do you know what kind of dimensionality you have to have to make sure there is no shadow? That means that everything in there must illuminate light by itself. The speaker got light. The fan got light. Everything got light. Can't have no shadow because everything is glowing. Need some shades, man. It's about to be lit. (laughs) Heaven is safe from harm. Our present confinement may be likened to parents' placement of their toddler in a playpen for a brief time or in a room for their protection. So you can learn the skills necessary to go to your much broader expanse of space what if the lord just has us here to mature us to train us to develop our inward selves right because we still have free will you'll still have free will there you'll be able to choose only people going there is the people that we know will always choose trending upward which means there has to be a threshold where you always choose trending upward, right? You keep oscillating between up and down, lukewarm. Sometimes it's for God, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's for God, sometimes it's not. Lukewarm, baby. You've got to be one, Jesus, Jesus, me and Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> me and Jesus, 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 Jesus. I really don't want to, but Jesus, right? Because if not, how are we going what you look like. Everybody like, yes, let's go to the left. You be like, mm, maybe we should go right. <laughs> like, like, who let him in here? <laughs> or is, he, is he wearing sneakers? Oh my God, we haven't needed shoes in like a billion years. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, these fresh, what you talking about? Shut up. <laughs> the absence of pain. And our new creation implies that the risk of injury and illness will be gone. Though in Eden, pain was reduced, it was still present. Pain was a necessity. Remember when God cursed Adam and Eve, he told Eve, your pain and labor will be multiplied, not introduced. Pain is a part of sensing, touch in this three dimension. 
if you're going to touch something, you also have to know when it's bad for you to touch. If you are a child in a playpen, I'm going to give you some things. You know, I love doing this with adults. I give you some things, and I tell you some rules that I think you should stay by. Like, don't be single with people by yourself, you know. Like, you know, don't do this with your money. Like, and I give you basic rules. I don't know. I've done this with some of you at this house. I will give you some rules, and I will give you the method on how you should do it. I will give you the tools, the apps, the phone number, whatever you need, and then I wait to see what you do with it. And you say, Pastor, you can trust me. And I go, I know. Uh huh. Pastor, you can trust me. Y'all ain't never say, Pastor, you can trust me. But my evidence is like, go for it. And then you fail. You fail horribly. You over here sneaking and ditching and diving. You over here got broke as a joke. D did not stick to your budget at all. I mean, did, I mean, I if that is you, raise your hand, please. Thank you so much. Thank you. So nobody thinks it's just them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And when people say, well, why don't you? I said, because I'd rather them recognize for themselves their own limitations. So when they ask me for help, they're more inclined to follow it versus me telling them, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. Don't do it like this, don't do it like that. I do not have time. You're going to see what you can't do. Right? And then you say, Pastor, please help me. And I'll say, well, can you do this? If you tell me to do it, that's what I'll do. <sighs> this world is like that. He tells you, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, but gives you choice with a whole bunch of things that you think is horrible. Why would you give me choice over something so important? But he knows it's not that important because I died on the cross for your sins. Christ was slain from the foundation of the earth. The concept of sin is not that it's that detrimental with Christ. The concept with sin is that you are never learning to be who God called you to be. And thus not being prepared in this playpen for what your actual territory is going to be. And everything God creates has to do what he says or it is trashed. Hello? Whew. Though Eden had pain, it was reduced. It was still present. Adam and Eve did not possess indestructible bodies. They needed at least some pain, sensation, to warn them of injury or impeding injury. You need some consequences. You need some suffering to warn you. You think the disease was the punishment? The punishment is hell. The disease is warning. You think going to jail is hell? No. Jail is the warning. Prison is the punishment. You're looking at all your consequences saying, this is my, this is my, this is my punishment. Punishment has not happened because judgment has not happened. These are your warnings. And some of you are so hard-headed that you need severe warnings because a good talking to, like you think if you just talk to me, if you just talk to me, I will do it. No, you won't. When I said 50 million sermons for 10 years, that's 52 sermons a year. That's doggone 520 sermons. 
still cutting up. And I don't mean Rudy Poot sermons. I don't mean like, oh, name it and claim it. No. I mean, get in there. 520. And if after the talking to did not work, and you came and you cried at the altar, right? And then you go out and you do the exact same thing that you know you weren't supposed to do. And you got the audacity to think that you don't need any consequences. And I don't understand why this keeps happening to me. And I don't understand what did I ever do to anybody. And oh, And I'm with the Lord. I am not the Holy Spirit. He intercedes for Jesus for your behalf. I'm going to tell. I'm going to say everything. I'm like, I told her and I told him. I got, I got podcasts to prove it, Lord Jesus. I even called them. You're like, I ain't doing nothing. They lied right to my face, Jesus. I, t- I-, I said, you need to cut him. You need to leave him alone. Okay, okay, okay. I'm telling because your blood is on my hands and I love you, but I will not go to hell for you. And some of y'all got involved in sin because you were willing to go to hell for somebody else. You're like, no, that was loving. I'm like, no, that is stupid. That is self-destructive, considering that person can also go to heaven, too. Like, neither one of you needed to go to hell, but you're willing to go to hell because they're going to hell. You're stupid. I'd much rather say, hey, how about we don't get tormented forever, and we both go to heaven? Like, no, but let's just be doing this and go to hell. Come with me. Okay, what? Don't act shocked. Some of y'all made them same vows. Did you have sex when I'm being married? You made the same vow. I am willing to go to hell with you. Because every last one of them relationships lasted longer than you would have expected. Proving a covenant happened. Because even though your mind told you you shouldn't, something kept drawing you like a connection to doing the same thing because you struck a covenant. And you don't have the power to break that covenant. Your will can't break that covenant. When the Lord told you to stop doing crack and you went to the crack house and did it anyway, your will is not strong enough to break that covenant. It is not. It is not. It is not. You're going to be doing crack a whole lot longer than you anticipated. Who was doing crack? People do crack. Don't act like that. You're looking all churchified today. I remember when your lips was ashy. I was like, I love the Lord. <laughs> now, what's that other one? The stuff that they make in the um, houses? Yeah. Methamphetamine got you make your breath smell horrible. I mean, just. <laughs> you be like, Pastor, I ain't doing nothing. Oh. 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 
The pits of hell is telling on you. Sure as the Lord is living, demons are echoing their names right out of your mouth. There's no harm, no pain. Okay, you got that. Last, last point. <laughs> Relational wonders. Relational wonders. We will be completely and continuously full and satisfied, physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. Where our lives today bring us moments of satisfaction, the perfect and sustained satisfaction for which we yearn, will finally be ours to possess forever in the new creation. A great example of these scriptures is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. I'm going to skip a couple here. So it is with the resurrection of the body. What is sown perishable, what is raised is imperishable. Uh, excuse me. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. So when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Victory, oh death, where is your sting? Paul is trying to convey some information about the type of being we are going to be. And the new heaven and new earth, the resurrection of our bodies is, is a glorified body. It's both it's spirit, but not natural. In essence, it's not a three-dimensional body in a fourth dimension. Yeah. It's another dimensional body that operates in extra dimensions yes or as some scientists say could be trans-dimensional yes hmm. very good yes 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 <clears throat> relational wonders in the sense of the garden of eden one thing that made eden a paradise and the same thing that made eden not a paradise was that its population was a population of two. It was declared good when it was two, and it was two that made it bad. <laughs> same, same. Yes? Every barrier that prevents or limits intimacy between us will be removed for all eternity. We who have been redeemed by Christ will pass through a fire not of judgment, but of cleansing, a fire that will cleanse us from all that will make us obnoxious to God and one another. Instead, everyone in the new creation will consistently exhibit the character and love of Jesus Christ in all circumstances and for all time. We will be in one accord with God and with each other. And yet each of us will retain some distinct identity and the freedom to choose. Great examples of that for time's sake, I'm going to give them to you. First John 3, 1 through 3, and Romans 12, 4 through 5.
relational wonders, intimacy without sexuality. Intimacy, with, intimacy without sexuality is better than sex. Intimacy without sexuality is better than sex. <sighs> the problem here is that many people can think of no pleasure superior to sex. Outside of Judaism and Christianity, most religious religions and cults distort and abuse sexuality, the sexuality that God gave us, either in their teachings about the afterlife or in their teachings about earthly relationships and worship practices. Their teachings are either overly restrictive or overly indulgent. According to the Bible, what heightens the enjoyment of sex and the exploration of its pleasures is not the use of certain physical techniques. but the degree of oneness a man and woman have developed in the broad spectrum of their relationship. Okay, what is he saying? Okay, great sex is because how intimately you know one another, not how good your techniques are. So all of you that are thinking, yes, I'm really good at this, and I can't wait to do this to this person because it gives you a sense of control and controlling their emotions, you are still abusing that person because when you're supposed to be knowing them, you rather control them. Because wow. you give good. Because you're like a pro at. Because you got this thing you do with your pinky. I don't know. I don't even know, okay? I don't even know. I don't even know. Right? So you pride yourself on having great technique and abilities and hanging from chandeliers and the stamina of the Energizer Bunny and all of these things and all of it that you have perfected over time with all of your other liaisons is just a format of control because you refuse to do the work of real intimacy. It takes real work for that. It takes arguing and crying. It takes compromise and consistency, dependability, reliability. It takes so much, right? Letting it go, not holding on to it, forgiving, not being bitter. It takes so much to have intimacy with someone. It takes being selfless and the other person being equally as selfless. You can be selfless at one point and that person is selfish and then you decide, well, I'm gonna be selfish and now they're selfless and you're selfish and you have missed the timing. You had a wall up, they had a wall up. You took your wall down, they took their wall down. Now both of y'all have messed up and now both walls go up when you put your wall up because walls are supposed to be up because we are not married. There's only so much intimacy we can have one with one another until we're engaged. And I don't mean physical intimacy. There's only so much of my soul I can bear to you until we are engaged. When it came to me and Dr. Smith, there was only so much that I could bear because he never proposed. Well, could you consider moving the church? No. Truth be had, if the Lord said move it, I'll move it. I don't even care. Well, could you consider making me pastor? 
No. Truth be told, if the Lord said you a pastor, be a pastor. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But I'm not going to tell you the ins and outs of what the Lord gave me as a vision for this church when you have not engaged. He don't know the vision. He don't know the direction. To this day, he's trying to figure out how much money we bring in because he can't believe that I'm living the way I'm living. But God. You must have some other man given to you. No. <laughs> that is not me. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> There's only so much of my soul and my spirit I will bear to you. Because you have not struck covenant at the first level. And that's engagement. You're not, you're not, see, that whole dating thing before engagement is just a matter of tugging and pulling to see how easily you can mold one another in order to fit for you. And all of it's fake. Because in this time period, you only have to do it temporarily until the marriage. And then in the marriage, all the real you has to come out. And now you're seeing it unfold. And you're thinking to yourself, what did I do? I was an idiot. How did I get myself into this? And that is a part of intimacy. The uncertainty of the connection. It's a part of it. Because you're actually seeing someone that you never saw before. That's why you should be God-led. A pastor should say, I can see that you guys are going to make it. And now by the powers invested in me through God, I pronounce you man and wife. Because someone saw, not because you felt. When I marry you, I have to put my spiritual understanding and prophetic hearing on the line for your marriage. Do I see that you two as a soul have what it takes to go through some of the hell on earth you're going to drag each other through? And still be an example to the kingdom of God and other believers. And most often the answer is no. Which is why they always leave and get married by somebody else. And divorce. <laughs> Tried to tell them. There was one couple. They'd already put their deposit down for the venue. They were in premarital counseling. And, and I said, you need to slow down. I said, you're not ready for what this is getting ready to do. I said, I'm noticing signs within your relationship that are clear red flags that you're not ready and you may not be compatible. I said, listen, I know you already put money down. Can you turn that down for me, sweetie? I know you put money down for your deposit already on the venue. I will give you that deposit back if you would just postpone this. I was willing to pay them back their deposit for the venue on their wedding because I earnestly felt that they were not going to make it without further prayer and consultation. They said, no, thank you. I refuse to marry them. They got their cousin to marry them, and they divorced within a year. <laughs> you could have had the money back, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying I love them enough as a parent will love a child to say, we need to slow down, yeah. right? 
With, the new, with this new capacity for knowing and being known, loving and being loved by all other human beings in the new creation, our need for marriage and a nuclear family is fully met. We will no longer need to focus on our relationship resources on one spouse, on our children, our family members, or, and or our selective friends. We will continuously enjoy all other members of the heavenly family in a way that's far superior to the pleasures of the very best of times in our earthly relationships, including marriage. In this extra dimensionality, you have extra, extra dimensional types of intimacy, ways and times. With new time dimensions, who's, you don't have to wait to the end. You could just go to one person. You guys could spend a second together in your timeline, but it's been two years. Then you go right back to where you picked up from because that's just time. It's just a dimension measured. We'll all be waiting in line to talk to Paul. Whose turn is it? It ain't my turn? All right. Well, let me know when 3,102,000,000 shows up, and that's me. You know, <laughs> and we'll have time to get to know as many of the billions plus Believers, as we want to know. I mean, think of the best and most true intimate relationship you ever had and the best conversation and the best feeling of knowing, you know? And imagine that times 10 with anybody you choose. You don't need a husband. You don't need a wife. You don't need your own children, right? All the kids is your kids. All the people can be your people. Your family, your friends, oneness. The people, <laughs> but the people who most fear the loss of sexual intimacy in the new creation are most likely those who abuse such relationships. Most of us don't know how to have any other type of intimacy without sex. We don't even know how to express or feel confirmed or affirmed that our expression of our love for the person is solid without sex. Like if I really want you to know that I love you, then I need to do this. And there's a part of me that until I do this, then I don't know if you really know that I love you, even to the extent of putting your own salvation on the line. Because I need you to know how much I love you because I don't know if you really know. Or I don't even know if you love me if you don't sexually want me. I don't know that you really are attracted to me or you think that I'm attractive physically if you're not trying to touch me intimately and physically. You, know, you don't even know how to have a friendship or relationship like that. You know how do I know? Because most of your friends that start on that way end up becoming lovers. This is a dead giveaway that you have some really hard times understanding receiving intimacy and giving intimacy without physical touch. When people feel the pain of disconnection in one or more key relationships, they may tend to ease that pain with sex rather than deal with the pain and brokenness. You've had so many relationships where you knew there was somebody else on the side or you knew they hadn't fully committed. Y'all don't want to help me today. Or you know, you know, there was a disconnection in the relationship. Y'all, come on now. And you've had so many relationships that had a bit of disconnection to it that now the pain of being disconnected all the time, it ain't 
that you can't receive love is that you have allowed yourself to call love what it is not. Now you hate the word love because it was used in a way that still had disconnection. And all these pains of disconnections of, of having a boyfriend but not really, you know, and, and now you're arguing and fussing. You don't do this and you don't do that. And why won't you do this? And how come you can't see this? Or how come you don't know me? How come you can't see me? Don't you just, woo, so much as you're fighting for, connecti- for connection. Fighting for connection, right? And the whole idea is now you rather have sex than to feel the pain of being disconnected. Like, I know you won't really see me like this, but at least we can do this. I know I'm really not the one for you, but at least here's a way we can connect. You numb the pain of feeling disconnected by sexual intimacy. When people feel the pain of disconnection in one or more key relationships, one or more key relationships. Define your key relationships. Fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, best friends. You have key relationships. And within those key relationships, you have felt disconnected. And the pain of that disconnection causes you to long for connection in any way you can get it, rather than deal with that. One of the blessings I have is that I had good key relationships. My daddy, my mommy, my grandparents, I had no siblings in the house with me. I didn't have to worry about that. (laughs) My key relationships were solid, right? So this yearning for sexual intimacy wasn't there as some type of soul longing. It was there like, that's fun, but I mean, everybody likes fun, but at some point you gotta be real. Rather than there's something yearning in me. Something that is not satiated physically, but you don't know what else to do there. And you go from bed to bed, from relationship to relationship, or from whatever, whatever you call it. I don't even know what you call it. Yeah? The hope is that a sexual union will restore or perhaps replace the love bond that they lack. I never knew my father. The hope is that now this love bond with you that I could have a family and I can be the father I never had and now we have a bond and we can feel that by me being the father that I never had is going to feel that, no it is not. Me being the husband my my dad never was is not going to feel that. But you're looking for that, right? To feel this bond because as a human being, it is lacking. That's why heaven is so awe-inspiring because we will never lack that type of intimacy again. You'll talk to your friend and they'll get you. You'll say, you know what I'm saying? And they'd be like, 100. They'll feel you. 
your joys. You won't have any pains. They'll feel your visions and why you're so excited. Like, and then I think we can take the roller coaster. We should do it like this and build this like that. And he, oh, yeah, I can see that. Now, you know, I can't do that, but you could do that. That's what's up. Just constant connection, no competition. Amen. Amen. Another scripture for you to write down is Matthew 22. It's when Jesus talks about how we will never, we will neither marry. All right. Verse 23. Our ability to receive honor and love from God and to express this honor and to love others will enable us to join Christ in managing the new creation and to participate with God in the fulfillment of his plan beyond those that we know. We're supposed to have this, this whole complete idea of oneness and love. So when we go to the earth, the new creation on earth, we're just dishing it out. Hey, what's going on, guys? Nah, yeah, yeah. Whatever he has us to do there, because we are fully full of him here. Amen? Amen. All that has been revealed to us in scripture concerning God's future plans uh, just extends to his eighth day of creation. We don't know what happens after day eight. <laughs> I make all things new, and then we don't really know. The new creation is a place where none of us will ever need to say goodbye to anyone. We will all be together forever, but our desire for privacy will be taken care of as well. Given that we may possess something like the equivalent of the two time, at least two dimensions, we would have a near infinite number of timelines for maintaining relationships. You could go fishing for as long as you want and not feel that something is wrong or that you're missing out or someone doesn't feel loved. Not feel that you're not gonna go to work in time, you're not gonna get this in time. You could fish for as long as you want and just show back up and nothing is lost, right? Nothing is decayed, nothing is broken. While our human capacity will vastly expand in the new creation, we will not become God or gods. We will never become omnipresent, omniscient, or omnipotent. We will never gain the ability to create, only to make. <laughs> Nor will we necessarily gain a power advantage over angels. Our role as judges over them has more to do with direction and authority than with power. In the new creation, we will be liberated and empowered to glorify God many times beyond what we can conceive of now. Having been delivered permanently from sin and suffering, we will be able to free We'll be, we will be free to love as we have never loved before. Given the new capacities uh, God will endow us with, we will finally know through direct experience just how magnificent his love is. I struggle with this. I struggle with the idea of this amount of love and unity because I've never experienced it, not 100%. And I struggle with the idea that all of us as believers could be different, distinct, and still unified. Like, I struggle. I just think like we all be like robots, you know? And I struggle with that concept. Anybody else thought that or thinking that? If we're all unified and distinct, but what is the purpose of distinctness if we're all unified and one? And the Lord made it very plain to me. He said, let's say your dad likes to cook, right? But Monifa likes to grow. And Glenda likes to serve. And I like to eat. 
Everyone can infinitely do what they love to do distinctly and on the same page. Your gifts and your talents and what he's called you to do and how you grow things and do things, the, the core of it is not hindered or dampened but multiplied and you can multiply that and produce more and more and more different, greater, who knows, right? And I can eat and eat and eat, Dad, okay? Of all the foods, okay? And I won't have to get fat, all right? Won't have the diabetes, nothing, all right? And I can do what I do best. When I cook, I love when people say, mmm, this is good. There you go, oh, that's good. I'm like, yeah, Danny's getting there. And she's like, oh, it's good. I'm like, yes, Danny. Everybody else makes fun of her. I love it. She's like, oh, this is so good, Pastor. I'm like, yes. There's a level of intimacy in cooking. The thought, the vision, the dream, the work. It's love in that pot. That's what I, I was raised on food with love. So I, I eventually I learned how to put love in my food, okay? <laughs> I was a slow learner, right? Eventually I learned you got to put love into it. It's got to be sweat. Collard greens, you can't cook them fast. Baby, they got to cook slow and long, and you got to taste that pot liquor every hour on the hour. Risotto, you've got to stir and stir at a low heat for hours. And the thing about risotto is the longer you stand over that stove and stir, the better it tastes. Some of it could just melt in your mouth like a velvety stick of butter that just. You can never get good risotto at a restaurant, never. It takes too long. They're gonna find a way to shorten it, make it easier, faster, and quicker. But good home cooked risotto takes hours standing over the stove, and it's so good. I had a hard time dealing with that, that we could be so unified, so great and distinct until he gave me that example. Then the next thing I had a problem, I had all kinds of problems. You guys grabbed it really quickly, didn't you? Was the idea that there's no pain and suffering but so much love. Because in my, in my four-dimensional world, decaying, that suffering shows the extent of love. And I had a hard time grasping, right, the idea that I could have true love if I did not see that it cost you anything. So let's say there's a man that brought me flowers because he knows that I love flowers. And he said, hey, babe, I got you these flowers. Just went out, picked them, brought them to you. They're beautiful, gorgeous, my favorite. Out of nowhere, he just thought of it, right? This other guy comes in, he says, babe, I brought you flowers. Beautiful, gorgeous, everything I wanted. Out of nowhere, unexpected. And I say, how did you get these flowers? He said, well, I had to, had to climb a mountain, fight a bear, cross the desert, and eventually I made it back. And now you have your flowers. In my mind, in my mind, the value of the flowers that took suffering is greater than the value of the flowers of the man that picked it. 
So now I have, y'all never thought about this. Now I have a hard time knowing what is love if it is not shown in suffering because my entire reality requires that love is shown in suffering. So how will I know? And the Holy Spirit did one quick check. When you have the flowers, and you look up the flowers, you feel loved by the one that picked them. Yes. Absolutely loved. Perfectly loved because we're in heaven. He picked the flowers. He brought them to me. They're perfect. I feel perfect. I know he loves me through and through. Right? The other guy went through Hades to get them. Right? Brought you these flowers. Perfect. I know that he loves me. Both flowers are now sitting on my dining room table in my 14-mile mansion. <laughs> and I'm looking at these flowers. And the flowers that cost with the sacrifice... The love is the same, but it's laced in pain. The thought of the flowers on that he brought is love with suffering. In my mind, I deal with his pain that he had to go through. In my mind, I deal with his suffering. What if I could have the same depth of love with no memory of that amount of pain? to feel the same depth. through That's the kind of love that we're supposed to be having in heaven. That same true depth of love without any pain overshadowing the idea of its value. St standing all over the house. 